This is iUniverse Radio, brought to you by iUniverse, the leading book marketing, editorial services, and supported self-publishing company. iUniverse Radio is your opportunity to hear firsthand from authors about their new books. It's an in-depth discussion about the author's passion about the development of his or her story in their own words. It's an inside look into the characters and the plot and how the story all came together. Here is iUniverse Radio with host Steve Jorgensen. This is iUniverse Radio. My name is Brian Houston. Today we are talking about a book entitled In White America. First time California gave an interracial baby to a white family. The author of the book is Paul Barlin. He is in Colorado. Uh, and he is with us right now via the telephone. Mr. Barlin, how are you today? I'm good, thank you. Thank you very much for being on with us today. Uh, we're glad to spend some time with you. Um, first of all, tell me a little bit about yourself. This is uh, the seventh book you've had published now? No, this is my sixth book. Sixth, okay. Tell me about some of the previous work you've done. Uh, I wrote two novels about teenagers and their problems, and uh, I was impressed by the work around the country, stories around the country about teenagers. Uh, we had the highest rate of teenage suicide in America at the time that I wrote the book, and that's what prompted me to write the book about teenagers. And uh, I worked with him in, in my dance work so that I was well aware of some of the problems that the young girls were going through. The, uh, the other books uh, that I've written uh, on uh, historical fiction, uh, the story of the, uh, the prosecution of the Jews in uh, Russia uh, in the 1800s, and uh, it's based on my father's experiences. He fled uh, from Russia uh, to come to America at the age of 15, and uh, he was the, uh, an immigrant in America for the rest of his life. Uh, however, uh, and he progressed very well in the shoe manufacturing business, and he um, uh, he went on to uh, create some very fine work uh, in the shoe manufacturing industry. But of course, the crash came, and he lost everything, mm. as so many businesses did. Sure. And he that uh, put our family in jeopardy for uh, the rest of uh, the uh, the period until World War II. And uh, I, as a result of the, uh, the Roosevelt's declaration of war, uh, I, uh, I studied to be a machinist, and I was a, an apprentice, a machinist apprentice, uh, before the war broke out. And when the war broke out, I was ready to go work, and I worked for Westinghouse in uh, producing steam turbines for uh, merchant marines so they could outrun the submarines, the Nazi submarines, mm -hmm. which was the greatest um, obstacle to our getting uh, material overseas to our allies. And so uh, the, uh, the ships that uh, had steam turbines were able to escape the submarine, and so we uh, were successful in that sense. Very good. Now, uh, it, it was just a short time later, I say a short time, probably another 10 years, uh, when uh, the uh, story of In White America, Interracial Children and Adoption, uh, comes along. Uh, it's, a, it's a true story written about a chapter of your life. I'm guessing this is probably the most personal, meaningful book you may have written. Correct? Uh, yes, that's true. It was uh, very personal uh, because uh, we were taking a, an interracial baby into our family, and while we uh, worked with interracial people, uh, and we were with many nationality, nationalities, uh, we had never attempted to live with any of them. And uh, this was the first time in our... Uh, but, of course, we felt... Uh, very uh, equally uh, friendly to uh, all the nationalities because we worked with them and it was our experience in working with so many nationalities. Now, at the time, at the time uh, that you adopted this interracial baby, or at least we're in the process of trying to adopt this child, uh, did you have any children already? Yes, we had one uh, daughter 
Uh, well, we we had two daughters, one each uh, from a mar- first marriage, and uh, uh, the daughter that lived with us, Leanne, was 12 years old when we adopted uh, the interracial baby. Okay, so kind of tell me a little bit about the the landscape back in the, I mean, I'm sure that was unheard of back in those days, back in the mid-50s, for a, a well, white was, couple to get an interracial baby in an adoption. Yes, it was. In fact, uh, one magazine was attempting to write a story about us, and uh, they t- they did one interview, and then they they called us uh, for the next on the next interview and canceled because they were threatened in the south their southern office in the in the mississippi was threatened uh with a bombing if we if they printed the story and so they were that's how serious uh and how dramatic the situation was in terms of uh, interracial babies going to white family in other words you could have you could be a, a black or a white but at the same time you couldn't mix them and uh in a subsequent camping trip where I had a, a black uh, teenage girl riding with us, uh, t- taking her to a grandmother in Georgia. Uh, we were refused uh, food in many restaurants because we were a mixed group of black and white, which was, uh, again, a, 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 it was considered a, crim- a crime uh, to mix the races. Now, based on the description of the book, it says that Jessica Keebler, the director of the Los Angeles County Bureau of Adoptions in 1955, uh, yes. faced this almost insurmountable uh, crisis, a logjam of unadoptable babies and a f- severe lack of adequate foster homes for these children. And right. it said it th- at one point it threatened uh, not only the uh, the structure of Keebler's department, but uh, her mental health as well. So I'm guessing she's one of the central characters in this book. It's a real real story, true story, and she's a real person. But I'm guessing okay. there's there's uh, a great deal of this book is focused on her efforts to get this adoption passed through. Yes, uh, she even uh, appeared at the uh, state legislature because they were questioning her as to why she was breaking the law in, uh, in furthering this adoption. So this was uh, a very brave thing for her to do, because I'm guessing she put her career on the line to make this happen. She did, and there's a scene in the book in which she threatens to resign if they do, if they keep her from uh, completing the adoption. Uh, but fortunately, of course, uh, she managed to have the law revoked uh, because of the way, because of our excellent presentation to the state legislature. Now, how long did this process take place uh, from the time that, uh, I guess, first of all, when did you learn that you might have the opportunity to adopt an interracial baby? Uh, only after we had uh, put in for adoption three years earlier, and uh, we had gone to a couple of agencies, uh, but they all uh, res- responded. Uh, we like we like to put a a uh, like baby uh, with a like family, and therefore, because you're Jewish, you have to wait for a, a Jewish baby. Well, we waited three years for Jew- for a Jewish baby, never showed, and I got very angry about it, and I said, "We'll take any baby because." You know, a baby is a baby, and we're only interested in in uh, increasing our family, and uh, it doesn't matter what the baby is. So, so you were dealing with with um, inequities, uh, r- racial inequities, and. Uh prejudices all the way around, not only from uh, the uh, issue of adopting an interracial baby, but from also from your Jewish background. Then, right? Oh yes, yes. Uh, my father had gone through a great deal of uh, oppression in Russia before he came to America, and he fled uh, Russia when he was 15 years old uh, because it was life-threatening for him unless he left. So how long did this process take? Because it was so complicated, and it was, uh, I'm sure, such a firestorm of controversy involved in it, uh, the the Jewish family trying to adopt a baby that was not Jewish, and then on top of that being an interracial baby. How long did the whole process take to finally get your your baby? Uh, it took uh, from the 
baby was born in 1955, and uh, in uh, the summer summer of 1955, and uh, we didn't get the baby until uh, March of 1956. Uh, and during that time, there was the the, the struggle between uh, my uh, my 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 wife and I working with the director Je- Jessica. And at the same time, Jessica working with the state legislature and her uh, supervisor uh, in order to complete the adoption. Uh, and at the same time, she had to threaten in order threaten to resign if they if forced her to give up the struggle to have the baby adopted. So this has taken place 60-some-odd years ago. Uh, why are you just now writing the book? What is it that took so long to to get this story out? Because this sounds like it would have hit a chord 30 years ago. Well, as a matter of fact, the thing that sparked me in right to write the book, uh, which I did about five years ago, uh, is the constant... Uh, uh, seething uh, uh, that was going on uh, on racial issues in America, and I decided that one of the things I had done to ease the process, uh, the difficulties of black people have in America, uh, we had done our share, and I thought it was worth it to write a book about no question about it, a fascinating story. What is it that you want people to take away from the book after they read it? Uh, the thing that I was interested in, especially in writing the book, was to spread the idea that all people are created equal, and genuinely they are created equal, and uh, should not be put in a position of lesser than others. They should be given equal opportunity uh, when the infants are born, and they should have uh, proper family connections, they should have schooling available, and so on and so on. I was very knowledgeable about uh, the Brown versus Board of Education uh, Supreme Court decision, uh, which uh, said that uh, separate and equal school, separate but equal, uh, was not possible. That when you separate the races, and put them in different schools and confine them in different schools, then you're creating an unequal situation, and you cannot you cannot really exercise democracy under such circumstances. Well, ultimately, there's no description of the child in the the short bio, you know, brief overview of the book. Boy, girl. Uh, grandchildren, uh, tell me a little bit about uh, your child. He was, uh, his mother was Chinese. His mother was, in, uh, the director to Keebler told us that uh, his mother was an 18-year-old uh, high school student, and uh, his father was a, a black musician, uh, an 18-year-old, uh, who ran, uh, was in the school uh, band, and at the same time had a private uh, the orchestra that he functioned with, so and, that uh, the baby was a mix of Chinese and black. And, uh, and but I'm sure you you raised this child with all the love you could give them, right? Well, we did our best. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, and uh, is he still with us? Do you have grandchildren? Uh, tell me about that. Yes, uh, he is now 59 years old. Okay, and I'm I'm in. He lives here in Colorado. And I came to Colorado to be with him in uh, my later years so that uh, we can be in touch. And uh, I see him twice, three times, twice and three times a week so that we're in very good uh, uh, contact. And um, yeah, I've made him my, my legal guardian and I have given him, uh, and he takes care of my, my health needs and so on and so on so that he is uh, very close to me. He's your son. He's my son, and unquestionably so. That's a beautiful story. Um, tell me where we can find the book, In White America, Interracial Children and Adoption. So it's on Amazon.com. Okay. And uh, it can be uh, born in, in, uh, bought in a number of bookshops, uh, Barnes & Noble and so on and so on. 
I, I noticed that when I went in there one day uh, to check out of some books, they were very willing to look up uh, and uh, find a book that is requested. Absolutely. So uh, it can be had uh, all over. But Amazon, uh, the, the, I have all my books are on Amazon, and uh, there's quite a list of them there. There's six of them that are on, and uh, there's description. Uh, readable pages are available uh, for free and so on. And all of that is available on Amazon. Outstanding. Mr. Barlin, thank you very much for being on with us today. Do you have a website or a social media outlet of any kind if people wanted to get in touch with you? Uh, is there any way that they could uh, contact you? My phone is available. Uh, I am available and so on. I'm not available for traveling because I have a heart condition. Sure. Well, but, uh, but at the same time, uh, I answer any questions or talk to individuals here at the re, at the Worthington where I live in the Worthington Apartments, uh, I have given book reports, and uh, I have given a book report on uh, in white America as one of them. And, and, and this so is on. in what so city? I'm, I'm, you know, f- flourishing in, in a circle of friends and uh, c- contacts. Beautiful. And I'm available for questions and and so on. And this is in what city in Colorado? Uh, Fort Collins. Fort Collins, okay, and it's the Worthington Apartments in Fort Collins, so people can look that up and and, uh, contact Paul Barlin that way. Right, and it's the 805-26 postal zone. Very good. Mr. Barlin, it was a pleasure to talk to you. My best to you and to your son. Uh, A beautiful story, and we wish you the best of luck with the book as well. Thank you. Thank you so much. Paul Barlin, the author of the book In White America, Interracial Children and Adoption. It's published by iUniverse. My name is Brian Houston. Thanks very much for listening to iUniverse Radio. You're listening to iUniverse Radio. We'll be back right after these messages. Hi, everybody. This is Pete Six of Beatles and Beyond. Why don't we all come together and hear some of the tracks off the latest Beatles release on this radio station. Why don't you look up the schedules on this radio station and join me and Beatles listeners everywhere to hear these latest releases from the Beatles on Beatles and Beyond with Pete Dix. Welcome back to iUniverse Radio with host Steve Jorgensen. The title of the book, Western Cowboy Poetry, An African-American Perspective, and the poet, Sharon Carpenter, joins us now on iUniverse Radio. Hello, Sharon. Hello. How are you? Great to have you with us. It's always great to talk to a poet. Uh, You have special talents to, in very few words, to take us places, to create emotions, to create pictures. It's always a, a great experience, and we're going to hear some of your poetry and in a, a moment. But first, let me just kind of help everyone understand what your poetry is about. Obviously, we know from the title, Western Cowboy Poetry. You're saying that this is entertaining as well as informative about life as a cowboy in the West during the pre and post-Civil War era. And what that it was... Is, yes, go ahead. Yes. You see, although President Abraham Lincoln authorized implementation of the Homestead Act that was designed to enable attainment of land ownership in the West, it was quite a struggle for African Americans who lived in the southern area of the U.S. prior to and during the Civil War. So to, for them to transition to economic success as ex-slaves. 
So overall, they experienced devastation that resulted in horrific challenges. Nonetheless, they were, some were persistent, and they underwent a variety of experiences to acclimate to an improved quality of life. And so think about how sometimes you want to live a life better than what you're currently experiencing, and that's what some of them did, but they got it done. Well, Sharon, before we hear some of your poetry, why don't you give us a little bit about your background and how this book came about, this book of poetry? At the time, I was living in Alabama, and then I was promoted, relocated from Alabama with a company, Johnson Controls, to Georgia. And as a result of that, it was a new phase of life for me, and I wanted to get adjusted, and I wanted to kind of come to know what the culture was like, and I wanted to build some relationships. And so my husband at that time was still working in Alabama, so he wasn't there. And my daughter, she was in college, so I was just there all by myself. And so I wanted to kind of get to know folks and kind of acclimate to what, you know, it was like living in out in Georgia. And so one day I was reading the paper, Douglas Journal Sentinel, and I saw what they had a poetry session, a poetry writer's session, and I thought, wow, I'd like to apply for that, because see, although I wasn't writing cowboy poetry at the time, I was always writing poetry. I've been writing poetry for years. I just always loved writing poetry, never thought of publishing it or anything. It was just something that I enjoyed doing, and so I submitted, I went to the session, and I submitted poems to him to review to see whether I would be accepted as part of that team. And amazingly, I was, so much so that he said to me, have you ever written cowboy poetry? And I said, cowboy poetry? No. (laughs) And he says, well, I'd like for you to write a cowboy poem, and I'd like for you to perform, to deliver an overview at a session. And I said, really? This was the Douglas County's Poetry Writers Group was the name of the poetry poetry club, and this was located in Douglasville, Georgia. This was one of their sixth annual Georgia cowboy gatherings, and so I thought, okay, well now you can imagine someone asking you to write poetry and you've never been a cowboy before, <laughs> and so amazingly I wrote one, and what was amazing to me is that they enjoyed it. They enjoyed it so much so that they wanted me to write, to cite others on a go-forward basis. And so, needless to say, before I wrote that poem, I did some research about what was it like to be a cowboy poet. To not be a cowboy poet, but to be a pow- cowboy. What were they experiencing? What was it like for African Americans as cowboys? All right? And so as a result of that, it was impressive to them and so they, on an ongoing basis, encouraged and invited me to perform consistently for several years. And I was amazed. I even got paid to do it. I'm like, wow, thank you. It was a blessing. So it's for entertainment, but it's also from a historic viewpoint. Exactly. Entertainment and historic. They wanted the perspective of what it was like african-americans as cowboys back then well why don't you share one right now okay well i can share one i'll share one that's called um let's see following the rag the wagon trail because and the one i'm going to share it's you know when you think about here you are trying to leave a, a certain lifestyle and acquire another one where you can be with family and you can have a lifestyle that's more conducive to you having the flexibility of living a life that will be appealing, of living a life that will enable you to have more sufficient self-sufficiency as an adult and being able to get things done. And so an enhancement for having quality of life for family and having that relationship is critically important. And what do you do, especially when you were a slave and you didn't have the option? Or maybe you were in love with someone, but then they got separated from you, not because they wanted to, but because in that venue 
they had to go in a different direction in that phase. So let's talk about following the wagon trail. I cry because my fingers are numb with cold and my ankles are swelled again. My legs, they swollen so large, they look like tree limbs. I cry because I don't know when I'll see Mama again. She bade me go. She stayed. Too old. Don't know when I'll see Mama again. I cry. Tears swell to overflow and freeze up upon my face. I feel like I'm nine to nine years old. Don't know if I'll make it from this place. I keep stumbling over things I cannot see on this rutted wagon trail. Hands so crusted over with bleeding and knees getting worse than when I fell a chasing brother Jim. Surely it's been three months or so, though it feels like years. I'm gone from blistering heat to confounded cold on this cursed trail of tears. Having a hide from peculiar folk, fearless and mean as them, why they captured Stoney and Elka May and Cousin Liza too. Heard tell them whoop them up, whoop them up good and make them work worse than old master do. Guess we's the lucky ones, me and these other few. See, we don't hear on the bull rush a fortnight or two till those peculiar folk moved on a dragging our stuff and trampling our camping too. Can't help but cry as we trudge near stony craters wondering where this leads. Where am I going to see Mama again? Is this trail going to ever end? I suppose the musings ain't going to get much, ain't going to get me much, but it's all I got till when we get to the Northwest. They say that's when the journey ends. Oh, Mama, how I miss you. How I wish we were at the end, together in our village reunited as a family once again. Maybe, Mama, I shouldn't have come, perhaps stayed with you. Still can't quite understand why you made me to. I don't know about liberty. All I know is you. How I wish you'd be here or I'd be there wrapping my arms around you. So I keep something crying, since all I can do, while trying to keep up in this gutted wagon rut, hoping some point, Mama, I'll finally be with you. Wow. Lots of emotion. Amazing. Yes, and very well read and with a lot of, obviously, uh, understanding. And you've learned a lot about these folks, haven't you? Yes, because... Think about families being separated. Some were able to leave together, others weren't, and what they were experiencing, and then wonder what they're going to ever meet together again. I mean, there were all kinds of things that were probably happening, you know? And yet, some felt this was important in order to inquire an appropriate lifestyle that will give them the opportunity to have more flexibility and living something that will be meaningful and be very beneficial to them as family. Yeah. Your book is broken into four sections. You have a section one, uh, well, let's see, it's a historic perspective section, the journey and contributions. Then you have a cowboy hustling and rustling section and a cowboy love stories and cowboy life perspective on our values. You also talk about uh, your objective to address aged out youth. Now tell us about this and what's your intent here? To address aged out youth, yes, because think about it. Our children, our youth may not necessarily know what some of the experiences have been historically and their background and their ancestry. And so having this type of of information communicated to them will enhance their understanding and to leverage from you know, to meet the, the inspiration, you know, and to get them to understand that it's so important to be persistent in what you may need to do in order to have a quality lifestyle and that it may not be something that happens overnight, but it is something that can occur. It is something that can be done 
that will be extremely su- successful as a result of being persistent in what you might need to do. And it was all about working a life, to live in family units instead of being pulled away from each other, to have a quality lifestyle where you can leverage talent and skill will be very important. Instead of just giving up and thinking, nothing's ever going to get done, I'm never going to get to where I want to be. And so it's so important for our youth to understand, you know, get some historical perspective and to realize that it's relevant to give and do and be your best and strive consistently to accomplish it on a go-for-it basis, all right? And so when we think about the different poetry sessions, as you indicated, there are four of them. You know, if the first one, specifically Section 1, The Journey and Contributions, it all presents an interpretation of what life may have been like for individuals who search for a place to live in freedom from slavery, which is kind of that that poem that I just read. It conveys a perspective of what they may have encountered in the Wild West while they were attempting to acquire some freedom to work as well as to live in family units instead of being pulled away from each other or sold as slaves. The second section, Working at Cowboy Hustle and Russin, delivers an imagination of, of what the work experience may have been like for several years after the war ended, based on historical findings. It also includes a perspective on experiences that was appealing to some African Americans during that era and that many enjoy today. These include not only branding cattle and bronco riding and rounding up and taming horses, but also tending to ranches and livestock, either for landowners or for themselves. And that Section 3, Romancing Cowboy Love Stories, It's designed to provide an overview of interactions between friends and possible intimacies among men and women in the West. And the perspective there in that section includes contemporary as well as some historic sentiment. It provides the imagination about what romance may have been like for a female in love with a renowned cattle wrestler or how, for example, one might want to connect with others at a dance event or something like that. And in Section 4, our values, it's a cowboy's perspective that comprises poems on some lifestyle experience of African-American colonists in the West. And I look at this as considerably important to our youth because it emphasizes on a strong work ethic, integrity, spirituality, socialization, and autonomy, as well as the commitment to impart sustainable improvements and the form of caring demonstrated in interaction with others. So this section, A Cowboy Perspective, essentially is comprised of poems that reflect values that African-American cowhands may have acquired while enjoying the lifestyle as a cowhand in the West while interacting in a caring manner for others and for the environment, which will be very, very helpful for our youth when they're trying to deal with various issues in their lifestyles and enable them to not give up, but to be steadfast and giving and doing and being their best in commitment and striving to excel in a timely manner, persistent with doing what's right. Very well said, Sharon. We've been listening to Sharon Carpenter. She's the poet. Uh, and the, she published her book of poetry, Western Cowboy Poetry, an African-American Perspective. Sharon, what's the best way to get your book? Oh, well, you know what? You can go to um, Carpenter, let's see, www.carpenterpoetry.com. And that's, my book is posted on iUniverse. And because there were a number of folks that enjoyed hearing me present the poetry, there was a number of them asking me to do an audio book. They always wanted to hear me. Great. Always wanted to hear me, and I wasn't always available for them. So there's an audio book listed there. There's also the poetry book that you can purchase there. But, yeah, that's under uh, it's www.carpenterpoetry, C-A-R-P-E-N-T-E-R.com, P-O-E-T-R-Y, poetry.com. And it's at iUniverse. And yes, they can. Have, there's a variety of poems: hard copy books, soft copy books, and the audio books. 
Well, thank you, Sharon. We appreciate you joining us and sharing your book, Western Cowboy Poetry, with us and uh, sharing your enthusiasm and your passion and all that you've learned. Thank you, Sharon. Thank you. I'm very thankful to have that opportunity. And uh, just look for leveraging this with our youth and especially providing whatever results of income I acquire to help the aged out because I was a foster child. And so I could relate to having no family and things like that. (laughs) But thank God for blessing me with this new phase in my life. You're listening to iUniverse Radio. We'll be back right after these messages. Join us for Self-Aid Success Stories with Helen Wu. Wednesday nights at 10, 9 central on toginet.com. Helen Wu was born and raised in San Francisco's Chinatown. And after a very difficult upbringing, fighting depression, abuse, and addictions, she finally finds herself genuinely happy inside and out. Helen believes in taking our positive thinking and doing something positive to achieve a positive outcome. She's here to make a positive difference in your life, to be your game changer, your aha moment mentor. She's ready to help both men and women get into a better place. Helen Wu is also the author of Self-Aid Success Stories, 25 success stories from successful entrepreneurs. Inspired by Ellen DeGeneres, Helen wants the world to know that just because we find ourselves in a difficult situation doesn't mean we have to stay there. We can aid ourselves to a better life. So join us for Self-Aid Success Stories with Helen Wu. Wednesday nights at 10, 9 central on toginet.com. Welcome back to iUniverse Radio with host Steve Jorgensen. The title of the book, Unleash Your Potential, Put Any Foot Forward. And the author is Darlington Nubuike, and Dr. D, as he is called, joins us now on iUniverse Radio. Hello, Dr. D. Hello. Great to have you with us. This is going to be quite a discussion because you're full of passion you're full of experience, and you've got a plan for people. And to if they will follow your plan and your book, there's no stopping them, is there? Exactly, exactly. That's why I wrote that book, because I, I want to inspire people. I want to get people to know that they have something, that each person has something. And, and, and the, the thing about it is that we will be accountable what we have that we haven't used. Well, that's a overwhelming thought. Uh, God has given us gifts, and we better use them, or as you say, we will be held accountable. Yes, sir. Well, as you put it in describing your book, dust off the mess of our past mistakes, failures, fears, pain, hurt from the shoes of the present, so we can take the step forward to the future with boldness. That's what I love about you. You're bold. <laughs> thank you so much. I <laughs> uh, just thank God for, for for the inspiration. Well, tell us about your background. You came from Nigeria, but America was a long ways off, and your father kind of directed you, didn't he? Oh yes, yes. When I was when I was a young a young boy, and I was walking with my dad, I didn't have any clue. I didn't have any. There was nothing that told me that I would even go to America. And so one day my father told me, he, he said, son, you will go to America one day and you, you will be a doctor, you, you will be a professor. And in fact, because he said it, he said it and that turned the light bulb and America became my dream. And, and, and since then, I worked my way, everything, I, 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 I took a breath about America, I ate America, I drank America until one day it came to pass. And here I am. And that's what I want to share with people. That are, the road to America is a long road with several detours, with bumps. And my father would always say, son, the bumps you will meet on the road of life are there to make you a better driver. So there will be bumps. You hit the bump, you learn from it. You get up. The problem is when you fall down, and you, you don't get up. That's where, that's where it ends. But once you can fall down and get yourself up some kind of way, nothing stops you. You keep moving. You keep pushing until you get there. 
And as your title says, put any foot forward. It doesn't have to be your best foot. We always hear that phrase, but you're changing the whole paradigm. Yes, sir, because we always think, oh, my God, I can't, I can't do this because I don't have this. I can't do this because I, I, can't, I, I can't do it because I'm not, I'm not tall. I'm not, I'm, not, I'm, not, I'm not rich. I'm not, I'm not born of, in a rich family. I don't have uh, siblings. I don't, my, I don't have, my parents are poor. I'm a single, I'm, I'm, I'm being raised by a single mother. All those things, are, they, they, they are there, but those things, they don't have to stop us. Put any foot forward. It doesn't matter where you are right now. That's a degree that you want to get. Get up and go get it. That's a job you want to get. Get up and apply for it. That's a scholarship. If you're a student, apply for it. You got, you got to get up. It doesn't. You don't have to be the best writer. Just write whatever you can. And I mean, just step up and do something. That's all I'm asking. That you just get out and do it. Get up. Get up. Arise. <laughs> Take up your bed and walk. You heard it, everyone, and and said with uh, a lot of passion and experience. And you had a book you were reading. If you want to walk on water, you got to get out of the boat. I think that was that an inspiration. Oh, that was, oh my God, that was by that guy inspired me. He inspired me. I was talking about Peter. You know, in that book, when I wrote a little bit about that, you know, put any foot forward. The Bible didn't tell us which foot Peter put forward. He put any foot forward, and he ended up walking on water. If he were to think about it, oh, which foot, and I can't do this because I, I don't have this, or I, I'm not like this, or I'm not, he wouldn't have stepped up, but because he just put any foot forward, he ended up doing something that nobody else has ever done or will ever do. You see, the, it, it, the onus is on us to just not think about it. When you see the opportunity, you have to go looking for it. Put any foot forward. Move. Move. You see, we, we, we can't go anywhere until we are standing up. You have to stand to step. Everyone calls you Dr. D, but I've renamed you Dr. Acronym because you have, <laughs> you have these amazing words. That's a, that's a new one. That's a new one. Well, you know, it, it just hit me as I looked at your book, and here are all these words that are acronyms. We have dare, and we have push, and we have step, and we have cash, uh, backpack, Padlock, and every one of them is an acronym. So let's just start with DARE. You say DARE to unleash your potential. What does DARE stand for? Oh, sir, I, I, I began with that because I, I, I dare anyone out there listening. I dare you to unleash your... I dare you because you have the capability. You have, you have it in you. All you have to do is be determined. There spells determination. Once you are determined, you, you will do anything you want to do. It's all about determination. I, I talked about the, the lady with, with the issue of blood. He, he knew that Jesus had come to, his, to her neck of the wood, and she was determined to touch the hem of Jesus' feet, Jesus' uh, robe, garment. And nothing stopped her. People were pushing her down. She never stopped. She was determined. That's what I'm talking about. If you are determined to get a degree, it doesn't matter what comes your way. You are the, the determination fuels you. Your determination pushes you. Your determination lights the fire in you, and you you, you don't stop because you're determined. Yes, you'll be you'll be kicked. Yes, you will fall. Yes, you'll be rejected. But the determination will push you forward. The A is if you, when you when you accept the challenge, if you if you are, if you're going to do something and you accept the challenge ahead of time, you know the challenges will be there. But because you have accepted those challenges, they will mean nothing to you. Mountains will no longer be mountains because you already knew they were going to be there. You 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 ready. You you have accepted them. So when you are determined, you have accepted the challenges. Then you are ready to perform. You are ready to perform. And once you are ready to perform, nothing, nothing stops you. See, it feels better when you are, when you are determined and you, you, you accept the challenge that you're going to take this exam. It's going to be a tough exam, a tough uh, medical exam, tough uh, LSAT, tough nursing exam, 
touch tough teacher certification exam, but because you have accepted the challenge ahead of time. You knew you were going to an interview and it's going to be a tough interview, but you accepted the challenge. It makes it easier for you because now you are ready to face it. You are ready to perform. Listen, when David saw Goliath, he knew he was, he was a giant in his way, but he was determined. He accepted the challenge that Goliath was throwing out there. Oh, I'm going to give you your flesh to, I'm going to kill you, I'm going to do this. David knew what he was about to face, and so he was ready. Once he was ready, he was enthusiastic. He said, listen, you come at me with this and this and this, but I come at you with the mighty word of God. And so the enthusiasm of David was what pushed him. So when, once you are determined, you accept the challenge, you are ready to perform, that's why people are enthusiastic because they already know. You say, oh man, this is a rough thing that this guy is doing, but he's happy doing it because he was already determined. He accepted the challenge ahead of time. He was ready to perform. And so the enthusiasm comes through. There you have it, folks. There's no doubt that this man knows what he's talking about. You've got to dare to unleash your potential. And you've mentioned the word in that. You talked about PUSH. That's another acronym. Tell us all about PUSH. Oh, I, 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 put, I put the word there because, you know, some doors are automatic. You can, when, when you come close to the doors, the doors open for you. Some of us have automatic doors. Our parents gave us businesses. Our parents handed out wealth. These are automatic doors, and they open to, for you, and you just go through. But some doors, you need to do a little pushing <laughs> for the door to open, either push or pull. But I use push here because you, you have to prepare yourself. Uh, push, like you said, an acronym, you have to prepare yourself. Nothing good comes easy. Prepare yourself. Get yourself ready. You see, all these American football, I love those guys. It's not because they are huge and big. It's because they prepare themselves ahead of time. They prepare themselves. They know that if, if they're going to be knocked down, some heads, some necks are going to be broken, some ankles are going to be broken, but they prepare ahead of time. They go to the gym. They work out every day. If you are going to be a medical doctor, prepare yourself. When you prepare yourself, you are going to do anything. You see, I, I, I like to talk about fruit, fruit. There are some fruits that are packaged, well packaged. The seed is inside. The seed is inside. For you to get to the seed inside this fruit, you have to go through layers of skin, layers of skin. See, this kind of fruits that have layers of skin, cover the seeds that have layers of, of uh, layers covering them, they can go anywhere and thrive. That's why you find mango in America, you find mango in Mexico, you find mango in Africa. Mango is everywhere because it, the seed is inside. See, you, you can either package yourself to thrive anywhere in the world by preparing yourself. Why would you want to prepare yourself to be a doctor only to practice in your neighborhood? You can't do it anywhere else. Why would you want to prepare yourself to be a teacher just to teach in the neighborhood where you grew up? You can't teach anywhere else. You have to package yourself in such a way that you can thrive anywhere and anytime. That's preparation. You, you have to understand who you are. You have to understand who you are. Because don't let anybody tell you otherwise. You got to know that, hey, I can do all things. Like I say to people, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. Because I know, my God, I can, I can do all things. So understand who you are. Understand that you have a gift. You understand you have a talent. Understand that there's something that you have that nobody else has. My father had always re referred me to my, the palm of my hand. The lines on the palm of my hands cannot be duplicated. Nobody else has it. it. Nobody else in the world has what I have. That's why fingerprints are used to identify people. So you are unique on your own. Just if you can dig inside and find out exactly who you are, you will know who you are. You see, Gideon in the Bible didn't know who he was. When the angel came and called him, thou mighty man of valor. You see, he, he, he is already a mighty man of valor, but he didn't know it. And he said, oh, no, 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 it's not me. I, I, I am from a poor family. I grew up from, I'm, I'm, I'm a single parent child. I, I don't have this, I don't have that. I am the least in the house of man. I said, no, that, those are excuses. Those are excuses. Because he didn't know who he was. 
he needed the angel of he he brought himself so low that he took the angel of God to bring him up. Some of us bring ourselves so low that we can't even get up. It would take the angel of the Lord to bring us up. But if we understand who we are, if we under, we understand that we can do all things, if we if we understand that we all we need to do is put a foot forward. Whoever says that once you put your foot forward that and you start to think that you stay sunk, no, that's a lie. Peter put a foot forward, and in fact he began to sink. But the person that has invited him, the one that gave him the gift, will always be there to stretch forth his hand and lift him up, and he will continue to walk again. All we have to do is prepare ourselves, understand who we are, then we have to develop our skill. The S is the skill. We all have the skill. If you are, oh my God, it, it hurts me to see those ones in jail, incarcerated, they paint the best pictures. They, they create the most beautiful works of art. They have the most beautiful voices and they sing. But guess what? They are doing this in jail. If they had just understood who they were, why they were free, and used those talents, oh, it would have been a different world altogether. So people need to prepare themselves. They need to understand who they are. They need to hone their skill. If you're a teacher, continue to go for in-services. If you're a doctor, continue to read journals, continue to practice, continue to do things. Whatever you think, whatever your field of endeavor is, continue to hone your skill because that skill is very important. And then you got to, the H is you have to be, um, you have to humble yourself, humble yourself, because you cannot, you cannot go anywhere if you pride yourself. You know, it goes before a fall. So what I advise people, be humble. Bring, bring yourself to a point where you can interact. Nobody is an island. Humble yourself. The Bible says, if my people who are called by my name will humble themselves. I mean, humility is the key. Humility is the key. Nobody wants to hire somebody that is so arrogant and prideful. No. Humble yourself and the sky will be your limit. That's what push is about. Well, we can feel why you've been uh, called the Renaissance Man, Dr. D. You have had incredible experiences. You have an incredible gift to communicate your passion and to do it in a way and that it just makes complete common sense of how we need to follow these kinds of patterns. Uh, we all have gifts from God. We all need to understand who we are and move forward. Like you say, unleash your potential, put any foot forward. And of course, we've just barely touched on the surface of what's in your book. So at this point, Dr. D., What's the best way to get your book, Unleash Your Potential? Well, you can go online, um, uh, uh, Amazon.com or Barnes & Nobles. It's everywhere online, or your local bookstores. It's everywhere. Or you can call me at 281-635-4424. Or you can go online, like I said, or your local bookstore, uh, or go to iUniverse directly and order the books. Thank you so much, Dr. D., for joining us on iUniverse Radio. Thank you. I appreciate your time, sir. iUniverse Radio is brought to you by iUniverse, the leading book marketing, editorial services, and supported self-publishing company. iUniverse Radio is produced by TogiNet Radio. Radio with a cutting edge.